looking out this morning at the people in the chapel and here, every priest who comes back to visit will always say, oh, it's so wonderful to be back. You know, I mean, that's sort of a standard greeting. No kidding, I was sitting up here and just had a personal comment, looking out at the faces, looking at the building, remembering stuff, and I thought to myself, you know, the reason that I ended up coming down here and serving in this church was I literally, I'm an alcoholic, I literally nearly drank myself to death. And when I didn't die, the bishop didn't know what to do with me, and so I ended up down here. And when I was looking out, I went, you know, thank God that he gave me the grace to stop drinking because if I had died, you and this building and the life here would never have been part of my life. And I am so grateful that it is. I'm a better person for having been here, that's for sure. So thank you for that. Now, what I want to talk... Well, thank you, but the sermon isn't over yet. (laughs) What I want to talk about today, the collect for the day. Let me read that to you again. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. Answer the call, proclaim the good news, that we might all see his marvelous works. Okay, what is he calling us to do? It's very simple. He says, come and follow me. Now, when he says, come and follow me, when I was a little kid... I would hear that, you know, in Sunday school, and I would think, oh, well, he was on his way to Jerusalem, and he wanted them to go with him, or he was on his way to Bethlehem, and he wanted them to get in line behind him and follow him. And later, as I grew older, I began to understand, no, it wasn't about walking down a road and a line and following him. It was about living with Jesus, getting to know him personally, and more and more taking the person who stood in front of them, Jesus Christ, and beginning bit by bit to bring that Jesus, that incarnate love, that manner of life, that teaching, that way of life inside themselves to make it really part of them and change them from within. Let me share with you a couple of stories One is, let me tell you about the church where I'm worshiping now since I uh, left here at St. Wilfrid's. I got back up, of course, I've lived, I've been commuting down here when I worked here from Los Angeles. The nearest church to me that was a neighborhood church where I had not already been a rector or served as a priest was St. John's, which is now the Pro Cathedral. And it's an old Anglo-Catholic style of worship, which I was uh, familiar with from my childhood. It's also a very socially progressive place and has many ministries to the homeless, uh, for education, for all sorts of things. I think it's a grand place. I, I really do like it. But one of the things that sort of jarred me when I first got there, I was an old-style, Fort Worth, rigid kind of Anglo-Catholic I think I'm fairly open-minded, but there are certain things so inbred in me that it just hits me when people violate those old rules. And one was every single Sunday, 
the clergy of the cathedral stand up. And you need to remember, we are an urban church. They're getting ready to open the Expo uh, light rail line with a station one block from the cathedral, which means we'll be connected to the five-county area. People from all over the greater metropolitan area will be coming to the church. And some of the homeless and some of the kind of psychotically disturbed that come to us off the streets hang around there on Sunday morning. In other words, big urban churches often have a very strange and eclectic group of people that come in around them. And they stand up on Sunday morning and look out at this congregation, most of whom are practicing Orthodox Episcopalians, Christians, some of whom just wandered in to hear the pretty music, some of whom may be coming off the drugs from last night, who knows. And they say to this mixed crowd, wherever you are in your pilgrimage with God, if you want to receive Holy Communion, please come forward and receive it with us. Man, when I was growing up, you had to show your baptismal certificate. (coughs) You had to have a signed document. You'd made confession within the last 24 hours. You had to show your Anglican ID card. You know, all this kind of stuff. And they're just letting anybody come up there. Well, of course, one of the first things that hit me was, I used to be one of those just anybody's coming up there. Who am I to judge? And I have also found that some of the people that get excluded from a lot of congregations because they're weird and they're troublesome and we feel uncomfortable talking to them, I've been learning from some of those people. Now, true, some of them, what I learn from them is stay away from them. (laughs) But there's one woman in particular, I won't give you her name. She's an artist. She's just kind of out there in the asteroid belt somewhere most of the time. And I have seen a lot of things about Jesus Christ that I didn't know until I saw them and met them in her. What amazes me about the cathedral is that it really has become what it claims to be on a poster out front, a house of prayer for all people. We don't check what your prayer is when you come in the door. That's not our business. Your prayer is to offer to God And it is such a rich place. And I look around that cathedral sometimes, and I'll see these people, some of whom just have beautiful looks of piety, some of whom almost look frightening, you know, when I see them. i like, where do they live? Under a bridge? How did they find us here? And one day I was in the men's room at the cathedral, and as I'm washing my hands in the sink and thinking about all the weird, strange, bizarre, exotic people at that parish, I looked up in the mirror and I went, oh my God, I'm one of them. (laughs) And what a wonderful place to be. Now, having said all of that, let me share you a story from seminary. My senior year, we're a few weeks from graduation, and there was a group of about 15, 20 of us that had really hung together for all three years in seminary. We all had old beat-up bicycles that there were good bikes, but we bought used ones that were beat up enough that you weren't worried about other New Yorkers stealing them from you. And we'd go out and we'd do all these riding tours throughout the city. Now, a few weeks before we would graduate, split, not see each other again, we all went to Central Park for a picnic, and it was just glorious, beautiful day. And we had quite a bit of wine to drink. Uh, We were getting to feel a little bit silly, and we started toasting people. 
And we were toasting all the people that had made our experience in seminary so wonderful and would say, here's to Professor so-and-so who really taught us about preaching. And here's to Mrs. So-and-so who helped us with learning how to chant. And here's to so-and-so who was always there when you needed somebody 24-7 to talk to you and hold your hand and toast after toast. And then Sharon stood up, a little wobbly from the wine, But she stood up and she held out her glass and she said, I propose a toast to Jesus of Nazareth. Were it not for him, none of us would have ever met each other. None of us would be here in the park picnicking with each other today. If God's incarnate love had not come into this world, I don't know what you people would be doing today, but you wouldn't be here. There would be no church. There would be no love of God being proclaimed to call us together. And when he says, come and follow me, there's a lot of people that say that. I hear people on television saying that, oh, come and follow me. I hear politicians and preachers and cult leaders. How do you know you are answering the call of Jesus of Nazareth when you begin to follow? Well... It's like when I was a little kid, and it was back before we had to worry as much about kidnapping and security, and mom or dad would take me into Houston, and they'd let me run around the toy department at Foley's department store with the other children while they went shopping. And when they were finished shopping, they'd come up to the sixth floor where the toy department was, and I'd hear a voice call out, hey, hey, Lee. And they didn't have to say my name. I recognized my parents' voice just as the other children did. Why? Because I lived with my parents. I ate with my parents. I studied with my parents. I went out on camping trips with my parents. I knew them the way we get to know anybody else. I spent time with them. I watched them. I asked them questions. I learned how they lived and what they thought. Now, all of us who come and gather in this church every morning, Of all the time that we spend on Sunday morning gathered in here, how much of it is really spent getting to know Jesus of Nazareth, finding out more about who and what he is? How do you do that? Well, read the scriptures through prayer. You might turn around to the person next to you because you know we Christians are aware that Jesus lives within us. And you might get to know the person sitting next to you a little bit better. And in getting to know them, you will begin to know the Christ that is growing within them. I mentioned an easy exercise this morning. How many of you are familiar with the book used in church liturgy called Lesser Feasts and Fasts? It is a book, some of the altar guild ladies probably know it. It's the book that lists all of the saints in the Anglican calendar and gives a little short one-page biography of who they were and what they did. It has now been republished in a new form called Holy Men, Holy Women. And it's all of the saints in our Episcopal Church's calendar. And you'd be surprised at some of the people who are in there. Sure, Our Lady, the Mother of God, the Holy Apostle, St. John the Baptist, Francis of Assisi. But did you know Florence Nightingale is in there? Harriet Tubman, known as Grandma Moses, who led slaves to freedom. 
Wilbur Wilberforce of the 1700s, who almost single-handedly had Parliament in slavery in the British Empire. And there, you remember one of the young men, the three young men during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, they were white. They had driven down from the north to help with voter registration. They were murdered by the Klan and buried in an earthen dam and later discovered. One of them was an Episcopalian. He's in the calendar. Martin Luther King, a good Southern Baptist, is in the calendar. And what I would suggest, get with one of your Bible study groups or get with a good friend and once a week meet and take the 10 minutes it would take to read each of the biographies of that week that are written in there. And then, I'm not asking you to do it to learn about their lives. I'm asking you to do it and then say to each other, why would the church choose this person as an example of Christian living and witness? What was it about this person that showed Jesus to the world? And do I have any of that in me that I can make grow, that I can put out there? You know, it's like when I was writing the sermon this week and putting the ideas together, there had been four or five people who had heard I was going to preach and were very kind and wrote me an email or something and said in it, oh, I hear you're coming to preach. I'm looking forward to that. And every one of them made some little mention about my sermons and say, you always tell such funny jokes. All right, I'm sitting there at the desk. I've got all my notes for the scriptures that I'm reading. And I read this email, you always tell such funny jokes. And I'm like, oh, okay, point seven, tell some funny jokes. You know, don't point them. <laughs> And then I get another email that says, you would make these interesting, obscure references to things nobody's ever heard of, like third century Syriac Eucharistic liturgies. And I would sit there and go, make incomprehensible reference to Syriac. You know, I like this. And as I'm going down the list and looking at everything, and I'm saying, look at this little notepad. I filled up two pages, and I don't see the name of Jesus there anywhere. Why am I bothered to preach if I'm not proclaiming Jesus Christ with my words and with my life? And if I fail and if I sin and if I fall short, Jesus doesn't get angry. Jesus says, stand up again. Let me refresh you. Come and follow me and I will show you how to do it. Now, people, it's just like some of the crazies out there at the cathedral. I'm so glad they come. They enrich my life. I'm not sure what they're getting out of it, but I guess God got them there for some reason. But you know, we're all kind of crazy if we come in here and get nothing except, well, the music was nice. Um, They had the air conditioning on, so it was nice and cool in there. I like looking at the pretty icons and stuff. If we don't walk out of here going, I feel closer to Jesus. Or I realize I'm farther away from him than I thought. How can I get to know him better? You've got a lot of the Christ sitting around you. You've got him in books. You've got him in love. Come to know him. And when you answer that call and you go, is that the one who is calling me? If it's someone who says, come and follow me, let's go over there. If it's someone who says, come and follow me, let's go over there, that's probably a false prophet. But you know it is him when he says, come and follow me. And you hear that voice saying, come within, for that is where I am in your heart. Let me grow there that you might proclaim me to the world. I know you people, you can do it. You've been doing it for a long time. Just keep it up. There is nothing 
like getting to know him and seeing your life transformed into his. Thank you for letting me share today.